The Gulflings are taking a stand against the tyrannical Skeksis. However, there are some that doubt their claims. It will be a long journey ahead before they can remove Skeksis' hand from Thra. The three beings have yet to take a stand. Will today be the day they fight for the Gelfling cause? This is Power Outage. everyone and welcome back to the power outage podcast this episode we are going to be talking about the second half of the dark crystal age of resistance series on netflix if you're tuning in now uh, make sure that you have listened to the first part episode three of this podcast but if you don't care that's fine just a reminder again, we will get into spoilers about the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. If you don't want to get spoiled, you can turn the episode off now, watch the show, and then come back to this episode. If you don't care about spoilers and just want to hear our thoughts to hopefully convince you or persuade you not to watch the show, you're in for an interesting show today. With me today, we have the Lore Master Kent. As we live in Thra, Thra lives in you. And also with you. And with your spirit. And join, <laughs> and joining us is the all mandom of Vapra Clan Levy. Mind forget, scars remember. What? What is that Augur from? says that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Okay, I don't. And I am your host, the former castle guard, now unemployed. Ryan. Now, Ryan, why are you unemployed? Are you on EI? Uh, oh, you know, uh, my bosses, they... Turns out they were corrupt. Mm-hmm. You know, I always had an idea that my Skeksis bosses were corrupt. Thought it was just, you know, corporate being all that. But um, word got around. People leaked out some information. We had a lot of whistleblowers within the company, and uh, I didn't know what to believe. There were a lot of fake news out there, but here we are, unemployed. I guess I have to join the resistance. Hopefully we get paid. Let me c- casually join the resistance. Do we have benefits in the resistance? I think so. The other question is, it's it's kind of heavily implied that everyone died <laughs> in the castle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what did you do, right? Well, I think that day, I mean, I, 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 the writing was on the wall that some stuff was going down at the castle so i was like i'm gonna take a sick day they don't really know my name i don't know who i report to sometimes it switches from time to time but uh, uh luckily luckily i chose the right day to stay away because uh all my co-workers dead man said perfect attendance award employee of the month as well so i made the wall that is now uh covered in essence that sounds so suggestive um, you don't know what's going on with those skexies so <laughs> getting into our thoughts here um we decided to dream fast because, well, there's a lot of purple essence going around the planet Thra, so we thought we'd just hide in the dream space for a little bit. While that's being taken care of, we're just waiting to get the all clear, so all three of us are just here in the dream space. And while we're here, we're just going to talk about the events that unfolded 
not that long ago on Thraw. We're going to get started with our general thoughts on the second half of the Age of Resistance series. Loremaster, what are your general thoughts on the second half? I came to realize that this show had two to three seasons worth of material, but they condensed it into one. (laughs) I mean, the pacing issues that happened in the first half don't really get resolved. In the second, don't expect amazing pacing. Also feels kind of rushed. Some character arcs. A cough cough celadon seems a little forced, (laughs) a little rushed. Yeah. I think the first half saw the future and listened to us talk about how Bria's great. Bria's great. (laughs) And then they decided, you know what? Bria is great. Let's put her in the sideline. (laughs) Let's (laughs) let's put the spotlight on uh, a stiff board that has a persona- less personality than an actual plank. Rianne, I'm coming after you. Okay, okay. I mean, those are my main, my main gripes of the show. I think the praise that I gave before of like the puppetry, the execution of all of that, the almost unheard of of these days of like a fantasy epic being executed pretty well in a TV format, but also in a puppet format is must-watch TV. If that's the thing on like TV magazines, <laughs> it's must-watch TV. And shame that there's no second season because definitely this feels like they were setting up for multiple seasons. Unfulfilled potential. That's the summary. All mandom. Your general thoughts. Similar to what Kent said, I feel like they definitely had so much more they could do with it, especially the battle at the end. You kind of you're preparing for a war, but it was kind of like maybe ten to fifteen minutes of actual battle and action going on not saying that i was expecting anything huge but just to conclude the whole main conflict by the end of it kind of seemed rushed just like ken said i i didn't seem like some of the arcs felt really gratifying in a way where they got what they deserved or they really went through the ringer especially celadon it was kind of too quick of a turnaround i didn't even like how they accepted her so easily bria makes sense because she's just naive but the rest is just like yeah overall i did like it at least I would say the quality was consistent with the story, but overall, feeling of satisfaction, i feeling lukewarm, but yeah, I, I still want more of the series. If that's the intent, which I'm pretty sure it does, yeah, they sold me. Unfortunately, yeah, it only it does have one season, and it got cancelled. So, yeah, that sucks. Um, my general thoughts are very similar to the both of yours, where I did feel like, the pacing was still an issue in the second half. I assume by episode 5, because everyone's goals were set, that we would kind of get to the point with each of their goals. And I guess for the most part, we sort of get there, but the story does drag along a little bit and then comes to a rush conclusion at the end with the battle between the Skeksis and the Gelflings. Yes, I also agree with the character arcs where... I didn't feel really satisfied or I didn't feel that some characters earned the conclusion they got at the end of the first season because they might have expected more seasons to come. They left things open for more character arcs to develop in the later seasons. But even then, like with TV shows, it you kind of want to wrap up a character's arc at the end of each season to kind of show where they started and where they end up now and then build off from that. But I didn't really feel a very satisfying ending to this season. But I have come around to certain characters and yes, Rianne is on the lower side of that. 
So yeah, let's just get the conversation going now, where we just jump in to each other's thoughts on everything. Rianne is Rianne is like at max C tier. Is mm. mm. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Y- yes. I-, I think when Rianne was quote unquote, I don't know, assigned to get the glaive. That's when I felt like this doesn't feel earned. This doesn't really feel like he's the person to to wield it. Like sure, because his dad wielded it before. It only makes sense for Rian to have it, but I didn't feel like it was like Rian was the right character to earn that right. Even still, after the dad dies, he still has some involvement, and I guess he's the only thing that kind of saves Rian's character. I just felt like the other two had stronger personalities, stronger arcs in terms of like voice acting or like writing material that was given. Rian just didn't seem to fit, oddly, considering this is like a fantasy epic. Usually the one who wields the sword is a person you kind of like. Yeah. I kind of don't like Rian. <laughs> like, I know like Bria or Deed aren't warriors, but honestly, like if they will- wielded the sword, I would be like, yeah, cool. Cool <laughs> boss. But Rian though, I was like, nah. <laughs> yeah, even when we when we talked last, like I was jokingly saying like Hub would get a more serious weapon, if anything. So when they introduced the glaive, I was like, oh my god, yes, this is Hub's time to shine. I was pretty sure that it wasn't going to happen, but, you know, a side of me was like, give Hup the glaive. <laughs> Let's let Hup do some more stuff. And I felt kind of sad that, like, Hup didn't really get to do much in the second half, but just be a bit of, like, comic relief. Not even. Not, <laughs> he's not even comic relief. Just nothing. He was, <laughs> he was there for a couple of episodes when they reached the Circle of the Five Suns. After mm-hmm. that gone yeah they just get sidelined to just watch over the one skexies and the other mystic and it's just nothing much so yeah i, I felt kind of sad with that one but i have come around on deet i think deet has the better journey the first time we see her she's helping out different creatures in the Grodden clan and we get to see over the season like her her kindness towards the creatures of thera no matter who they are she still is willing to help all these people because of her willingness to help, that's her downfall, and that's how she gets infected with the darkening. Yeah, she had that powerful moment during the end battle where she becomes Storm and just <laughs> shoots lightning back. I think her storyline is the one I'm most disappointed we won't see continued, and I feel like a second season would give her a lot of development. Ogre really sh- showed up for me, though, this season, or this half of the season. She was Jesus Christ. She was Jesus Christ. But more so for just lore's sake, in the beginning. Uh, she helped develop the main plot of the Darkening. But then after, when she's kind of like, you know, she's girl-bossing it. She's, um... Sorry, I don't know where I was going with that. Lost my train of thought. So, when I edit this... Girl-boss. Girl-boss, yeah. <laughs> I think, I yeah, I, as someone who has seen the movie, this Agra still has hope that things can change. And, like, she she's very neutral, for the most part. Like, yes, she does side with the Gelflings, but she doesn't really get too involved. Sure, she sacrifices herself for the Gelflings, but she still seems a pretty neutral character. A neutral-sided character. Not neutral in terms of her arc. I think she has... She's very helpful to the cause. Yeah, I, I enjoyed Agra. She has some great lines. And she is pretty funny. I think she's the more comedic relief in the second half of the season. She reminds me of Obi-Wan. Not like they're the same characters, unless. <laughs> but, because, <laughs> like, Agra in the movies, you don't really get much of her besides, like, the basically the 
hero's journey of meeting that wise old mentor mm -hmm. type of archetype. But then you get to see her character being fleshed out in the in the prequel. <laughs> in the prequels <laughs> a la obi-wan <laughs> oh okay i see yeah. i see now <laughs> yeah, yeah that's that's where i was going <laughs> okay uh yeah you see ogra be much more than the like, wise old mentor archetype you can definitely feel her pain and anguish for like leaving thra now she has to like make her moves to like make amends to thra that was a mm -hmm. cool thing in the first half her doing her jesus christ moment <laughs> and the second half was cool <laughs> well we love to hate bash characters. Yes. <laughs> on this on this on this podcast. You know? We really gave Wan Young a run for his money. So let's give it up for upcomer Celadon. <laughs> Celadon. What to say? I mean Kent, you predicted it so well that she is maleficent. By episode six, she accepts that role of maleficent down to the garb, all black garb. Again, another character that just wears all black so we know that they're evil yeah it's kind of on branding for the kingdom hearts comparison <laughs> she thinks she's the bot oh, she yeah, thinks yeah. she's the baddie but she's not I, I i don't even know what to say about celadon like i i think in the first half she just wants to be a ruler of a kingdom and she's doesn't have the right values to be a just ruler you know once her mother dies it just kind of falls to the wind and she just turns evil I, I, I don't know what to say about that. I have two things on Celadon. The first one is not mostly a character, but like a scene. My fa One of my favorite things in the second half, <laughs> one of the funniest things, <laughs> I was laughing at this. I know we were supposed to feel sympathetic for her, but I was laughing. <laughs> was, uh -huh. was when Celadon came in her Maleficent gown <laughs> to the Skeksis. Oh, she was God, like yes. bargaining with them. And like, yes. I've come forward and killed the traitors, so you know what? Let the other people go, right, mm -hmm. masters? And then they all started laughing at her. Yeah, okay, and, yeah. And I started laughing as well. Yeah, when, yeah. when they were, yeah, when they just were laughing at her and started to, like, laugh at her costume, how she looked, took her crown, like, I couldn't just, I couldn't feel bad because, like, I just, I just didn't like her character. You need to be taken down a peg because you're not all high and mighty she just kept on going and i was like no girl like stop <laughs> <it up>. like, <laughs> this is an l take it <laughs> take the l and leave yeah but that was my first point on her my second point on her i was like i don't mind it that this was the arc was going on i like when i hate a character because maybe that was the point let's see where they're taking her with it right and i see them trying to go for like that redemption arc thing where you know confronts her sister change her ways and all that but what I didn't like was that it was in a span of two episodes where you don't get to see Celadon a lot or having like that bounce off interaction between different point of views like with her sister or with Skeksis or whatnot. That's why I said in the beginning, it's like I felt like this was had like two to three seasons worth of material because that character arc feels like a season two, season three moment of her like yeah, yeah, yeah. coming back to her sister's side. Mm hmm. I feel like Celadon, she's so easy to like bash on. Disappointing that they were rushing her character arc to be a redemption sympathetic character. It just becomes kind of funny at the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Because I think in the first half, she has that moment where she talks to her mom, the Almadra, where she says, you know, you focus too much on the kingdom and not on your daughters. And, you know, there's something there to develop with her. When the mom dies, that kind of gets thrown to the wind. Her 
reconciling with Brea over the death of Tavra just didn't feel like that's good enough of a reason to just for their relationship to reconcile. Like, it, I just didn't feel like that was deserved. Maybe I can somewhat accept it with Brea, but like for everyone else, for all the other Gelflings, even Madrafera, who challenged her for the crown, for Madrafera to just willingly accept Celadon again just felt out of place because why? Celadon had no help in helping them escape. Celadon did not prove herself to be on the resistance side. Yeah, and you know what's worse? You know what was Madra's Farah's last words? Your mother would be proud of you. No. What are you saying? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> her, her last words in this world of Thra is to talk to Celadon, a person who betrayed you two, three episodes ago, or like four, and say, your mother would have been proud of you. I don't know if that's true. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. She wanted to lie she... going going out. She was just like, you know what? I can make one person happy. Let me <laughs> let me cap the most. <laughs> yeah, I will say though, there's that there's that line when they're I think it was when they were flaming her, saying she could be a Skeksis, and I'm just like, oh, they would compare your behavior to them, but they still won't actually accept you and respect you. I'm just like, oh, you kind of deserve that. You kind of deserve that. Yeah. She doesn't have it. She doesn't have the it factor to be a skexy you know <laughs> she has no sauce no. <laughs> yeah i just don't like how forgiving they are all of thra seems to be pretty forgiving agra makes sense just because of her role but just the fact that everybody can turn a blind eye to sell out dawn coming back and just <laughs> chilling again there's there's no bickering there's no moments where she kind of breaks or you kind of see her old habits of just being selfish or thinking for herself, or just her family come through, and she's just like, oh yeah, I kind of just rubbed off. I'm kind of just D 2.0, but less useful. Wait, can you expand on she's D 2.0? Just just in the fact that... Mm, never mind, I take that back. <laughs> I don't know how to expand on that. If anything, if anything, you're ruining Deet's name. I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, so I was sorry. gonna say, I, like, I, 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 I've grown to like Deet. No, 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 so I, 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 I love Deet. I love Deet. She, no, she, she tries to be her, kind of. Or she okay. wants to be the hero, and I guess, kind of have good heart, good hearts and good intentions, but clearly Deet's the pure one. Celadon wishes she was Deet. That's what I'm trying to say. As someone who who didn't watch the movie Levy, how did you feel about the origin for the Mystics and Skeksis? Like that, that play that they showed? When I, when I seen that scene, Exhibit must be here because he was like, so we heard you like puppets, so we put puppets <laughs> in your puppets. <laughs> That was nice. I like the touch. I like the detail, how they even explain it. Like, oh, we've been waiting a long time. We've been waiting a hot minute to do this. Shut up. Let's do it the way we want to sh show it. I think that was a nice way to do the exposition and kind of just be like, okay, let's catch you up. Uh, I felt pretty ca caught up from what I saw. It was nice to kind of get those loose threads. Now it's the most clear with the intentions or where the weight of the circumstances are. They're the equal parts of the Mystics and Skeksis, to my understanding. But here's more details of how it's going to be. The, the fight with the puppets was better than the actual fight. Is it just me or is it just this is just me? I think the end fight gets good when the hunter shows up because the hunter's movements are just really great. When it's the other Skeksis versus the Gelflings, it does feel a little weird. I think Rian, when Rian does that flip against the general, <laughs> it, it feels kind of off. But I think the fight is a little underwhelming at times. My thoughts on the fight. Hilarious. So funny. <laughs> it's just like seven Skeksis going into a battlefield. I think that was like the immersion breaking factor. 
was them like being in this open field maybe realizing they couldn't get a lot of puppets into one scene <laughs> so yeah yeah okay yeah yeah I, I agree with that because i think i think for me it hit when they showed off the gelfling side where it felt like i thought there were more gelflings in this resistance that showed up but it just looked like such a small group and that's when my reality kind of broke is there a reason why we can't fit too many puppets all in one scene together ram <laughs> ram yeah not enough memory but also like <laughs> I think that was a, another funny moment. You know when uh, they're taking flight, mm-hmm. throw the yeah. bombs, the male Gelflings just like kneeling down, and then the female Gelflings would just like launch off of them. Right. I I didn't understand that. Like I like it's <laughs> very established that they don't need like a launching pad. Oh to, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to, get, to like fly. So what was the point of these Gelflings just kneeling down? That's <laughs> uh, waste that's where all the choreography went. There's like we won't do anything cool. Well, let's have them jump off of us. Effects-wise, like, bombs weren't hitting anything. It would have been cool if a bomb actually hit a Skeksy. I think I, I would agree with you when the hunter does come in and, like, get Rian. Mm-hmm. That's when it felt like, oh, this is real. <laughs> this <laughs> yeah. is a fight. The whole Jesus Christ with Agra, <laughs> the whole store moment. That was, that was just, like, bonkers. That Absolutely second half of that bananas. fight. <laughs> I didn't get it too much, though. Agra coming back. I can understand her needing to revive, but that time and that way, I, I still don't see the connection or how, so. I understand with the mystic, with the heretic, okay, that makes sense, or I found that cool and uh, fulfilling and justified, but also when Augur popped up, okay, she had a good joke about being old but newborn, that was a good joke, but other than that, <laughs> I didn't really see it. They were hoping a season 2 would come in, they would put that Augur resurrection moment, not a season 1 moment, but a, a season 2, season 3 thing. She was like Gandalf the White, like she. Yeah. Ryan, we talked about fantasy. How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> well, Ken bashed me last week on Marvel, so I had to. I had to throw in some Lord of the Rings references from time to time. It's not really too established in the movie or in this show. My understanding of it was just that because she's so attached to Thra, and because she gave her quote-unquote essence to revive the hunter. Once the hunter died, any essence that was in him would just be returned back. That that was my take on it. I don't know, because they never really establish the rules on essence and what happens to the Skeksis when they die and what happens to the essence that they drank. I can't really say if that's what happened, but that's that was my understanding when I saw that Agra came back to life. Yeah, that's what I thought too. I thought when the hunter resurrected, I thought that was Agra controlling him, and that's why ah. he, that's why he was like rushing to the battlefield. Ah. Um, but but no, he. Why do you want Rian's head? He's so boring. <laughs> Get like Bria's head or something. <laughs> Celadon's would have been even better, to be honest. <laughs> yes, I don't really have much other thoughts on the, with the season, just because like. The pacing just felt so off to me. I mean, it's it's a fantasy, so we have to have like quests. So them going first to the Circle of Suns, and then them finding the Glaive. These are things, like you said, Kent, where it could have been season two um, journeys. One episode nine ended, and Rian basically challenges the Skeksis to a fight. I thought this should have been like the ending of the season. To kind of lead into season two where all right we're gonna build up to this massive fight 
I feel like if they took the time with the pacing to introduce the other gulfling races than that end scene because it did feel powerful but i felt like how much more weight it could have had at the end just knowing that oh these are the actual races and we, we meet like one or two characters of each but it's not enough to be like oh this is the power of throughout this is the whole scale this is a whole place environment country whatever it is against the skexies it's more so just like here's some representatives of it remind me again when those other gulfling clans show up is that after deep shoots off the darkening or is that before before because that's when like the emperor gets you know big mad <laughs> <laughs> that oh yeah that's when he shoots off the darkening okay yeah i just felt like yeah i felt like that moment with all those clans coming didn't feel that earned having these other people come in when we don't really get to know them because with gurjin with naya and kailan their job was to go to these different clans and spread the word if they flesh out those characters and showed them talking to these different clans so we could hear what these different clans think of what's actually happening if they believe it that would have felt a little more earned so that when we see these clans show up we're like okay yeah we they convince them but the fact that they just show up just on Rian's word and again Rian's not the best character so it's hard for us for me to believe like yeah we're just going to trust Rian when the word around Thrall was that Rian was such a bad person was the one that killed Mira, so the writing could have been better with that. They could have spent more time developing all of that out. Like, I have my highs and lows with the Gelflings. I think the saving grace for this series is the Skeksis. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Literally, any scene that they're in, I'm like, I'm in for a good time. <laughs> this is good shit. It's also the same case with me, especially when the Chamberlain is just doing his own thing. You know, trying to give the general a bad batch of the essence and then saving the general and then killing the general. I feel like that the the, the Chamberlain ha- definitely has a grudge against the general and he just, he's very methodical in his plan. And, you know, to go through all those hoops to, in the end, kill him. He I feel like he got the better arc out of most of the characters because he just wants to be on the Emperor's right-hand side and... He goes through a lot of obstacles. He gets what he wants at the end. It was earned for him. It works because it's been leading up to that point. Like, it's actually being built mm. upon. Mm-hmm. Not not being rushed to that literal backstabbing moment. Everything else, Every other character is, feels rushed. Except for Chamberlain. Because this was building up to the moment the Emperor decided the General is now his right-hand man. Maybe they just enjoyed Simon Pegg that much that they're like, we're just we're gonna give you a good character to to voice. I do want to say I did watch the making of documentary for the series. It made me appreciate the show a lot more. Most documentaries do that for me. Like we talked about how impressive the puppetry is. I really enjoyed the set design and the documentary really I think highlights the most for the puppeteers because it's not just marionettes with strings or whatever like that like they have their hands up in those puppets for hours the skeksis costuming is a lot more complicated because they do have their hand up but as they have their hand up their head is like closed in on their shoulder so it's very like it's a very uncomfortable process for them we've said the skeksis are probably the most impressive out of all the puppetry on this show so for them to like manage to do all that emoting it really 
made me appreciate that a lot more. It's only like a little under an hour and a half. It'll make you enjoy the show more and see their thought processes for certain aspects of the show. So as we finish this season and basically the series, would you come back over time? Would you rewatch this show? I don't think for not a while. I can see myself getting to the world still of Dark Crystals, but I, don't, I just don't see myself revisiting this specific show. Just because I, f- I felt like I kind of got the most of it from the first. Unless I'm kind of seeing what I missed. I'd maybe watch it after the documentary. I mean, you have the movie to look yes. forward to. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of scared though. I feel like it's, it's it, is it not like even like it's old time pacing? Kind of I, menacey? I think it's pretty simple. Straight to the point kind of stuff. Like it's it's very a hero's journey, but it feels timeless in that in the story aspect i think like yeah the effects can be a little jarring but i think it's a pretty impressive for the time what would you say is in common though that saves and kind of the charms of the series that shares in common with the show or i'm sorry it's the movie i think the skeksis skeksis i think all the personalities are like skeksis and golflings i mean if you like our girl she's i would say she's all right in the movie she doesn't get as much screen time but He's still the character that you've come to like in this series, I would say. Did you like that podling village scene in the first half? Because there's another one in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Do you get someone just as great as Hop, though? Oh, no. I don't know. That, that movie, the, the, you know, the show actually puts a spotlight on podlings as opposed to the movie where it's not great. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say that. <laughs> You'll see, like, there's clearly so much time between this season the series and the movie that you know the series could have gone on for seasons before the movie because there's there's so much in between that hasn't been established yet to answer your question ryan i don't know if i would rewatch it not because i don't like it i really liked it for the most part. as much as like i bash on things I, I liked it for the most part it being canceled knowing that like they have so much material to work off of but like no actual medium to do it would feel disappointing as a rewatch because then the highs might be even higher because i'm appreciating more but then the lows are even lower knowing there's nothing else after that there are comics that are sequels to the movie um when this got canceled last september they said that they hope to continue this series in the comics hopefully i i think unless they say like season two is coming out i think it would be hard for me to rewatch it to, to speak to that like i it's the same for me you said it well can like the highs will feel even higher but the lows they'll hit a lot harder the second time around too again yeah unless there's some sort of continuation of the series in any medium like that would be the only time i would rewatch just to refresh my mind on certain characters and see how the sequel would have continued it. If anything, I would only rewatch the movie just as a classic for me. I've really grown to enjoy the movie. Like I said before, it, it feels very timeless to me. So I, w- I would rewatch the movie more than this series. Shout out to the series, though. Okay. I mean, we keep on bashing the series, but like... <laughs> we? Look, this is... Okay, I do it. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll put it out there. I bash the series the most. You know why? Because I think 
I'm disappointed because I know there's so much potential. I'm not <laughs> mad. I'm just disappointed. Even though they only have one season, gotta give it up to them that they were able to pull mm-hmm. this off, right? Mm-hmm. Like this is puppets. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Be- like before this, my my impressions for puppets are Sesame Street, Muppets, and then Fraggle Rock. Those are my impressions of puppetry. Dark Crystal, watching the movie and now the series, just shows like puppetry. Maybe just like animation has that stigma of like only for children. But then they put this show, this movie, this franchise forward being like, no, puppetry can be used to tell like this epic fantasy with like deep character drama and a deep Mm -hmm. story being leveraged by like amazing costume design and set design. Also great voice acting. Yeah, I got to give them praise for that. I didn't see any accolades for this season, but I feel like they should have got at least nominated for all those technical Mm. awards. They knocked it out of the park with those. If I mean, if this is how you feel, like I really, then you should really watch the documentary because they really highlight a lot of the things you're praising. More so with the puppetry, like you see, like the stress that they deal with and how much work is put into that puppetry. You know, I'm glad that the show does credit them. I feel I I don't know if other like I'm trying to think of like the Muppets. I don't think like for Muppet movies or shows they really credit the puppetry. Like they actually name the puppeteers controlling all those characters but this show really does it and you know you gotta appreciate that a lot as well um funny enough when i it was the henson company that was pitching this to netflix when they did that they wanted to do an animated series first but then net the netflix executives were like but could we make it puppets the henson company they sent them a test footage where it was a puppet skeksis and a cgi gelfling their issue was that it felt like you could see it's clearly two mediums. It didn't blend well together. So that's when Netflix really pushed for the puppetry. The Henson Company was like, it's going to be expensive. I just want you to know that. But they were like, yeah, we're on board. So I think it's also very Netflix, important. you were yeah. on board and then <laughs> yeah. you canceled it? Wow. Yeah, ex- exactly. <laughs> that's why the documentary... Because the documentary came out the same day as the series. So it just it's just very bad timing watching it after the fact that it got canceled because... They actually have Netflix executives in that documentary talking about how much praise they have for the puppetry. There's no real explanation that they have given for why it got cancelled, but the budget is the more obvious answer because of how expensive it costs to make the show. So the fact that Netflix is the one that kept pushing for the puppetry and they cancelled it for the budget is just very, very disappointing. (laughs) Netflix thought they could give out blank checks. That they realize they can't. <laughs> they just wanted to put it in their showcase that oh yeah, we funded this. We're behind this. We won't. We won't entertain. We won't uh, give it. Give you guys more of it. Well, we here you go. We we yeah. gave it to you. <laughs> Netflix just likes greenlighting a lot of things and then just axing them. By the way, Netflix, please greenlight our series. <laughs> Power outage. Also, speaking of speaking of Netflix. If you go in on Netflix.ca slash power outage, you can get 50% off on, your, <laughs> on five months of your Netflix subscription. They just upped their price to $28.99. So if you use our code, you can get a monthly plan for $14.99. So just keep that in mind. Make sure you get that pricing. And then put in the comment section that power outage sent you here. They'll put it down to $7.99. You know, original pricing. OG pricing. <laughs> mm-hmm. But do know that if you take advantage of the power outage uh, uh, combo, you can only watch three viewers at a time. Sorry, we don't make the rules. 
the $70.99 pricing is literally OG where it's going back to Netflix classic. That's what you're getting. <laughs> yeah, you, you you're getting you're getting DVDs sent to your house. That's what you're getting. So make sure you still have an operating DVD player to watch all those Netflix DVDs. And those DVDs will include classics like The Dark Crystal, the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we, we we were only affiliated with the Dark Crystal movie and Mystic Pop Up Bar. Those are the only things you can watch, but you'll get those DVDs. Circling one thing back, I did watch, I think, the first five or ten minutes. I watched a bit of the documentary even before. And yeah, I was about to even mention to what you were saying, Ryan. I saw the scene where it was a Gelfling being chased in CGI, and then they did some mixed media with puppetry of the Skeksis being real. Obvious, not even just in the how emotive the CGI is. You're kind of used to the uncanniness of the puppetries. It, it kind of helps, kind of need the, the realness of the lighting, of traditional lighting, to help it. But also... I feel like it's just kind of off-putting to have a mix of both, unless you're using it for adding effects or for background. But when you completely replace the character, it's kind of like you're taking the, the life out of them. The puppeteers are really the unsung heroes. Yeah, it, again, like it gets covered. The actors who voice these characters, they even say like, we're going based off what the puppeteers are emoting through the, through the characters. Like, we're just following their decisions, their direction. Shout out to all the puppeteers out there. There's one person who is very passionate, and it sucks because their character <laughs> just doesn't get... It's not really reflected through the character, and that's Taron Edgerton. I feel bad for him because you can see how passionate, how much he cares about this franchise, and where Rian's direction is taken. It's. I mean, if he's, if he's proud of it, good for him. But I feel like, as a fanboy, he might be disappointed. I don't know. Before we move on, I don't know if we're allowed to say that we're affiliated with Netflix, even jokingly. <laughs> so I, this is the disclaimer that we're not affiliated by Netflix. Shout out, but pre- Netflix, if you do want to be affiliated, <laughs> our email is thepoweroutagepod at gmail.com. Yes. Address us by our titles, please. All Mandem, more master, unemployed. Overall, I like the show. I do enjoy and I do say that the Jim Henson company and just everybody who worked on it, they really get the world building across. It's really easy to get off put by the the puppetry at first, but you shake it off and give the credit due to them. Even if you don't like where the story goes or if they didn't really do it justice or they could have done more. World building, getting lost in this story, I, I will give them that. So... Although the show has been cancelled, I think it was an overall good experience. So what are your concluding thoughts on the Age of Resistance as a whole? Yeah, as someone who is not into that much fantasy, I think this is a pretty good thing to jump into. To kind of watch. Even if you haven't watched the movie. I mean, as Levy has shown. like Even if you haven't watched the movie, there's something for you here to enjoy. It's a good uh, starting point to get into fantasy, I would say. Like we talked about in the last episode, you don't have to know too much to understand the story. I think there's a lot of realism here with the characters. There's a lot of drama going on that you can empathize with. Definitely the puppeteers did a great job with the work here. The director did a good job with shooting this whole season and making it, I guess, the easiest thing to say it is consistent throughout the season. It's worth it's worth the watch. Don't don't feel like because you're not into fantasy, you're not into puppetry that 
that should stop you from watching this show. I feel like, or I hope, that if Jim Henson was still alive, he would be proud of this show. Yes, I, 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 I believe he would. And I thought when you were going to in, uh, interject, I thought you were going to say Jim Henson's still alive. Him <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Jensen is. Him Jensen. Oh, him Jensen is totally alive. <laughs> oh, him Jensen is loving the crap out of this. I'd like to say, give this series a try, regardless of whatever your niche is. It's, there's something there to enjoy for everybody. I even I'd say for the family, the kids could be very much lost in the puppetry and the visuals of it, but then older people can kind of see the similarities and how dark and real it could get. Overall, very great series. Uh, don't miss out on it just for the artistry alone and the production value in it. Yeah, my my couplet for this would be a great expansion of the original movie. I can see myself becoming a Dark Crystal groupie. What would what would a groupie of the Dark Crystal be called? Crystal heads? <laughs> That's on my record now. I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm a crystal head. I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know what this group is called. I'm curious because, yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't know what it's called. The Dark Crystal Gems, not affiliated with Steven Universe. The Dark Crystal Gems. <laughs> Well, it looks like the darkening is starting to clear out on Thraw, so I think it's time for us to to get out of the dream space. Thank you for hearing our thoughts on the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. And now I think it's time to unplug. Like we talked about a couple weeks ago, Ken said we are the people's podcast, and I want to keep that in tune. I want to stay true to that. For the people, I tried the BTS meal. I am not that big in the army, the BTS army that is. Um, Thank you for disclosing. Thank you for disclosing. (laughs) Not the Canadian army, (laughs) the K-pop army, (laughs) the BTS one. Oh yeah. Um, Yeah, I'm, I'm not too into the bts fan army i'm a, I'm a casual listener of their songs i have listened to most of their songs that that's casual <laughs> that's casual i i, 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 like, I have songs. all their discography like, i saw them in concert twice <laughs> i only own two shirts. i mean in terms <laughs> i i like in terms of like the true bts fan army they're like they know the translations they know the meanings the themes the inspiration so like in comparison to them i would consider myself a casual fan when the meal got announced i was i got it the day of and luckily enough i didn't have any struggles with getting the packaging i got most of the packaging with the the nuggets the drink um and i was able to get the two sausage which are cajun and sweet chili that's the only quote-unquote bts thing (laughs) of the whole bts meal besides the packaging so i'm um, the only thing i'm reviewing here are the sausage the sausage i think when we talk about bts we kind of think of hmm. sausage mm-hmm. reaching out to those fans out there the the thing i'm going to review are the bts sauces that come with this meal and that's the cajun and sweet chili i prefer the cajun one it tastes very much like think honey mustard 
but a little like these two sauces aren't that spicy but i guess it's a little bit spicier than the uh honey mustard one uh the sweet chili too sweet i would not recommend if you're someone who just wants to collect the sauce because you're that type of fan yeah but i would not ever try that sauce again if anything i would try the cajun but that would be like an occasional sauce i would try if i'm feeling for it but yeah what about cajun and sweet chili uh, is korean Korean (laughs) or even bts from what i understand they just chose those sauces because they had a hand in picking what the bts meal was and those are the sauces they picked i think it's just a popular one in south korea that's my understanding bts fan army don't come for me but correct me politely in the comments down below or through our email power outage pod at gmail.com the power outage pod oh yes sorry the power outage pod at gmail.com you will read yes. every single email he has to <laughs> yes i will and i will reply to all of you no matter how angry you are at how bad i'm representing the fan army right now yeah those are my thoughts on that for the people out there you are heard when I first heard about the sauces coming, I could have sworn, again, as someone who's worked at McDonald's, I could have sworn they were bringing back two sauces that they used, like a Thai sauce, and just, I could have sworn maybe they used that Cajun for something else. But I was del- I was gladly, delightfully surprised when I did try it. I don't see the hate for the, the sweet chili, though. I like both. I don't feel like BTS, but I definitely dig the sauces. I, I don't hate it, it's just not my palate. It's just not something for me. Uh, again, I'm. I guess I'm very bland. <laughs> I'm a guy who likes vanilla ice cream, so that says a lot. I guess I'm a very bland person. My palate is not as expansive as I would like it to be. So that's that's the only reason why the sweet chili just doesn't right. sell it for me. You're talking about a McDonald's <laughs> meal. What do you mean by <laughs> expansive palate? <laughs> You're eating nuggets. No, I mean. <laughs> I know, I know, but I mean in terms of just like flavors. Yeah, sure, it's a sweet chili, but like. <laughs> Well, with BTS being all the way in Korea, we have to cross some waters, some bodies of water. And Kent, you have something to talk about with a body of water, Mystic River. What's that all about? Yes. I guess for my topics, I'll just talk about the two movies I put in our docket, which is Mystic River and The Crimson Kimono. Put those two movies in because uh, a few weeks ago, I started playing D&D again. I was talk- the DM was talking about the different storylines and like things, and one of them was like mystery and murder mystery. So I thought, oh, let me let me do like a detective kind of character. Because of that, I just led into like, oh, let me watch some movies, like just get into the genre. I watched Mystic River. I actually never heard of this movie. <laughs> and then the Crimson Kimono was also I was like, oh, let me watch like an old movie, the mystery detective genre. So Mystic River. It was an Oscar movie. Totally see why. And I, I say Oscar movie not in terms of like condescendingly. I'm saying Oscar <laughs> movie because it's it's an award worthy movie. Like it deserves to have some awards. But did it win any awards, Ken? It, it... <laughs> okay. Tell me that. Okay, okay. It, it didn't win awards because it came out the same year as The Lord of the Rings Return of the King where they swept the Oscars that year. So yeah, I say that they won two awards and because they were in the categories that Return of the King wasn't nominated for. Understandable why they got it, but no, Kevin Bacon. Dude deserves some credit. He was good in that movie. Him and his like chemistry with Lawrence Fishburne as like the two FBI detectives, those are good. What the plot of Mystic River is, is that it's kind of a story of like these three childhood friends and how they drifted apart as they went later in life. 
And then because of the murder of one of the daughter, that their lives intertwine again. That's where one of the characters is an FBI agent. One of them is an ex-convict. And one of them had like a very traumatic childhood. And that's what the whole movie was like opened up to was that traumatic event that gets brought on to like the case and all that. I came in thinking it's like a, you're solving a crime. They do that, but it's also like parallel with like parents dealing with grief, understanding how trauma doesn't really leave you and it carries throughout your whole life and how you think, how certain moments at any time can like trigger that thing again out of you. I don't want to put it as like condescendingly, but I think that's why Sean Penn and like Tim Robbins won those awards because they play those characters so, so well. My favorite moments are always like when Kevin Bacon and Lawrence Fishburne talk about like the cases and how they're they're actually like solving it and they're like talking out loud, bouncing ideas off of each other. You feel like you're part of like the the solving process with them. Crimson Kimono is about two police detectives in the LAPD. The main characters are Joe, who is a Japanese American, and the other one is Charlie, who is a no, just American. I guess that's how they leveled him. And it's about the murder of a stripper. The case is just basically trying to solve this murder. But it's also intertwined with this romantic subplot where this girl to interrogate and interview, one of them falls in love with her. And then later on in the movie, the other detective falls in love with her. So it's like a, this love triangle thing. Do I like this love triangle? No, I don't, I don't like it. It makes no sense. This movie is supposed to be like a... <laughs> A detective drama, but I was laughing. I was. I think this is a comedy. It's so funny <laughs> because of how some character moments happen. I maybe so like the datiness of like being a film of nineteen fifty nine. But some of like the plot points are funny. the The whole love triangle plot was so spotlighted in like the middle of the movie that I think they forgot that there was like a, a murder to be solved. And then that murder got resolved so quickly by the end. I really don't know how to label this movie. So I just said, this is a funny movie. <laughs> this, is just, this is just a funny watch. <laughs> Those character moments that are like comedic, is that like, is it, is it towards the Japanese? No, no, they're not, they're, no, like... Ryan, they're not, they're not actually com- comedy. It's not actually, they're like dramatic no, moments. No, 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 I, <laughs> no, I know, but I meant like those, those moments that you found funny, like was it how they presented the japanese character or was it like just the love triangle aspects it's the love triangle aspects to it this movie even though it has like a very weird poster i think it's very racially sensitive oh one of like the really core themes is how foreigners or immigrants or people who are not labeled as full american are perceived by other people so with like a backdrop of race with it specifically japanese people and one of like the areas that they investigate is like Little Tokyo, and that's like one of their main settings that they're investigating in. I think it's it holds up in terms of like racially sensitivity, but story wise, it's just so funny. Even though it's supposed to be a detective one, there's some I, I say like holds up culturally and racially sensitive. There's some like little bits, a moment, like the overall theme of like perception. It's like two lines away from saying reverse racism. It's like a little weird there. Mm. So, but overall, like I think. It's very racially sensitive. Uh, one of Joe's like thing that they had to like interview was a guy in like this temple, and then the guy was like, "Oh, I have to go to like my my son's memorial." And then the Joe was like, oh, "I'll take you there." And then you have like a, a full two minutes of like attending this memorial, and you see like the priest doing the actual like death ceremony. 
can see like the actual act of it there's also like a kendo appreciationist movie so it's like not a lot they don't really make fun of a lot of things they don't nothing's like a caricature of japanese culture that was a that was a cool thing but again like i think overall it's just a funny movie <laughs> Which is weird because we looked up the poster for it. It's weird to, for you to say that it doesn't play on race. Yet the writing on the poster literally says, "Yes, this is a beautiful American girl in the arms of a Japanese boy." Yeah, I think that was because like a lot of like writing for this movie. It's just one of the first interracial couples on screen, let alone like a Japanese person being the one that's a that's the main male lead post World War Two. You were saying like how the love triangle kind of gets spotlighted a lot. Oh, it seems like we have a guest over here. Uh, come on, little buddy. Pop on my on my hand over here. Oh, it's talking. Okay, hold on. It, uh, I can't understand it, so we gotta get our universal translator, because we always bring that. The Darkening is here! The Darkening is upon us! No one shall survive! All of Thra will burst asunder! Gelfling, Stexy, oh, no, no matter! All no, shall be no, consumed no, no. by the Darkening! That does not sound good. Off you go, little buddy. Such a downer. <laughs> Honestly. Sorry for that, folks. Um, yeah. So go ahead, Ryan. Oh, yeah. So you were saying how the love triangle has, a, like, a big spotlight in this movie. How does the case... Does the case feel satisfying no. at the end? <laughs> <laughs> no. I can tell you that from the get-go. No. I don't even want to get into it. <laughs> no. Oh, yeah. No, no. Yeah. Okay. Would you recommend watching this, the, the the Crimson Kimono? Yes, in terms of like, because every time I see lists, I'm like, oh, this is like an old detective movie you should watch. No, actually, no, I'll not recommend it. <laughs> I was trying to find a way to be like, yeah, I would recommend this, but no. To speak to Mystic River, to go back to that, I mean, from what you described, it sounds like it is, it's a type of movie with a lot of character depth and a lot of development for those three main characters. Is the movie more with that, with those characters, or more with the case? Or a blend of both? They focus a lot on both. The acting awards are very well-deserved, because it's a very well-acted movie. Well-written movie that really serves the actors. The case is also integrated into those character arcs, because like the murder is heavily related to one of the main characters, which is uh, Sean Penn's character. His name is Jimmy, because that's his daughter. And it like brings up a lot about his past. And it brings up a lot of like Tim Robbins' character, Dave, and his trauma. And then you have the third main guy, Kevin Bacon's character, Sean, because he's the detective for this case. Not only do we have like a very fulfilling case, like a murder case, you have a very fulfilling character arc because it's connected to that case. <laughs> Does this case feel satisfying the conclusion of it almost uh, yes I, for me yes but i can see why it's a no for some people i won't spoil it because it's like uh, it's a journey to, oh, it's yeah, a no, journey to get there <laughs> unlike yeah, yeah, chris yeah. uh crimson kimono but for mystic river it is a like it is a journey to get to like who the killer is by the end that's also because like of Ke again kevin bacon and Lawrence fishburne when they're like talking through the case really like hypes you up to like oh who's the killer who's the killer <laughs> interesting I mean, I, I'm, I mean, from, from when you described the plot, I was already kind of sold on it. So yeah, I will definitely add it to my watch list of 597 movies. But I will get to it. You know, Ken was talking about how the Crimson Kimono just doesn't flow properly. Let's try to go with something that has a little bit more rhythm to it. 
Levy, what's your thoughts on rhythm and flow? Uh, I see what you did there. Let me just disclaim that I do not have one specific topic to kind of go at length at, but I do have many reviews. Rhythm and Flow is a Netflix rap talent show. It's very refreshing. It's, it's nice to kind of see the talent that they do get on who are existing. Big names from Chance the Rapper, T.I., Cardi B. Seeing my boy Anderson Pack, that was pretty sick. And then also seeing the really diverse talent that they have, the different types of rhythms and different rapping schemes, it's nice. And it's kind of seeing them put through the, the ringer and kind of skim out who's the star, which I already know who it is, who won it, just because the show came out like a while ago. But this is, it's a great show to go with. It's nice to kind of uh, enjoy the personalities, but also kind of like go along with the flows that they start and just rhyme along with them. Speaking of rap, People Just Do Nothing. Uh, that's another show I've been watching. BBC mockumentary about these um, corrupt FM, this underground garage rap group who are trying to make it. It's hilarious. It's, it's a lovely show. I want you all to look up the main cast, or specifically MC Grinder. Alan Mustafa. Alan Mustafa. Please look that up right now. I'll give you a second. What? A, what? A, what? I mean, I'm on his Wikipedia. What? What is? So I I have a small story to how this came in the show. So I was chilling with the man. So I was chilling with the homies. It's one of the other homies that was there. Happens to be someone who I've been trying to get into UK rap, drill, grime, all this other stuff. But he just didn't like it for him. I'm very low-key cheese that this is the show that put him on. The mockumentary show. As soon as he puts it on, as soon as I see Alan, MC Grinder, oh my god, MC Grinder is um, Ben Shapiro. <laughs> what? Does he not look, Does he not look like Ben Shapiro? <laughs> He looks like Ben Shapiro. Uh, I, mean, I can see that. But. I can, there's a, there's a, I'm not saying it's uncanny, but I'm saying there is a stronger resemblance. That's the, I don't even watch Ben Shapiro like that, but I will say he's, that. He's more Jacksepticeye than Ben Shapiro for me. Really? I think it's the eyebrows and the face. Anyways, I, I, it's funny because their sound is very uh, drum and bass and grimy and it's kind of old school. Which is nice because in the moments it kind of does feel like hip-hop roots of just recording DJ sets and a very offbeat setting where it's either like they're throwing a party or it's just kind of like the team rock and just kind of broke so it's kind of nice to see that but then it's funny because their music's actually pretty decent it's pretty catchy they've been going at it for four or five seasons i would recommend this show to anybody who's kind of just into british comedy but also specifically like who's kind of into rap and kind of wants to see where grime goes it's funny because they're still ongoing and they're they shot a movie just recently that's coming out called People Just Do Nothing, big in Japan. So, you know, as a non-self-proclaimed weed myself, I, I gotta do it. Do it for the culture. I will say, um, then this, uh, Chibuddy, way better rapper than, um, Nav. Is that, is that even a controversial? <laughs> no, no. That's not, that's not really a <laughs> no. high bar. No, it's not, but <laughs> Chibuddy wraps, wraps, um, circles around Nav. Anyways, uh, the last show that I've, I've kind of finally got into was Invincible. Oh. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, overall, <laughs> I like the start of it. I was actually very intrigued. I love the cast. I love, you can hear, I, I really love Steve Noon as uh, Grayson. J.K. Simmons is very fitting of the dad of Omni-Man. I will say, though, sometimes when you see the influences or what they're trying to allude to, so like the Guardians of the Globe and certain characters, like, I don't know what the, the guy who was kind of a knockoff of Constantine and Hellboy. It, it, sometimes it just it kind of, like, took it away from me. It kind of just, like, you. I knew what I wanted to see. I knew some spoilers. If you're on Twitter, if you're online, you're bound to see it. But it kind of takes away from me. Overall, I'll say it's a good show. I still haven't finished it yet, but 
yeah, worth watching, but I, I wouldn't say I, it's lives up fully to the hype. How far into the show are you? Fifth or sixth episode. Okay. And I already know kind of what happens towards the end. So I have this weird thing with Invincible in terms of my YouTube recommendations. <laughs> so I watched the trailer for Invincible after like Ryan was talking about it in a previous conversation. And I was like kind of into it, but then not that into it that I'll watch it immediately. My YouTube feed just became a lot of Invincible clips. And then there was like a lot of thumbnails around. So I saw, I did see some clips and then this one triggered it. So I saw one video, one clip of Adam Eve. And then my YouTube recommendation feed was, was like censored lewd thumbnails. (laughs) 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 Because they, not like, not like every other thumbnail, but like, I would just get surprised that there's this like kind of suggestive drawing of Adam Eve. But like censored, so like, oh, like they're they're obviously covering up a, a position that she's in. <laughs> That's my so for a few weeks after I watched the Invincible trailer, I see for Adam Adam Eve oh. <laughs> some lewd suggestive <laughs> thumbnails. Oh, well, okay, I, I okay, I have to ask what what was the initial clip that like that led down this dark hole? Okay, it's like it's it's when Eve found out that her boyfriend was cheating on her. That was a wild scene. That was a wild scene. <laughs> By me, I, I get that is the, that would be the scene to lead you down this hole. <laughs> Damn, my my scene that that popped up was Anima and destroying the guardians, and I'm just like, oh, that's how graphic they go. That's where I was just like, okay, I needed to watch this. There's a lot of highlights. I I, I enjoyed it. It's just it's kind of it lulls a bit when it goes to like the team aspects and i kind of get the, the subplots or just the the twist it's kind of it goes dry for me <laughs> this show this show i will say when the show got announced i was very excited because you know what i'm trying to obviously try to branch out out of the big two marvel and dc and so this is by um image image comics which does a lot of indie work and invincible was a popular comic series when it came out it is concluded now, and I, I've heard it's a pretty satisfying conclusion. When I heard the show was getting announced, I was very excited. Um, when I saw the trailer, I was pretty interested in seeing it. And then when they announced a voice cast, I was 100% sold with Steven Yoon, uh, J.K. Simmons. When the show came out, uh, I watched it weekly, because that's how it, it, it was released. And each week felt like a chore to me to watch this show. Once the first episode ended with a big plot twist, it just kind of goes down from there. Like, I get it. You're trying to let that plot twist kind of breathe. But I feel like you could have done it a little differently so that when you reveal it later on in the series, it feels a little more shocking. You have a lot more time with different characters to feel the weight of that plot twist. I feel like you don't introducing it so early on doesn't feel as heavy as it could have been. One of the biggest problems I have with the show is the animation. You know, with animation nowadays, it could be hit or miss. And this one was a big miss for me. You know, Prime Video isn't like one of the peak streaming services. But, you know, I've seen what they've done with other shows and they have the money for it. I just think that the money went to the voice acting for the show. And, you know, I I appreciate the core cast. But it's just that the fact that like every character is voiced by someone top tier 
in the industry right now it just feels like it didn't need to be that there there are some great voice actors out there that could have done a great job with the role and it's unfortunate that they would be cheaper but like yeah you could get those people for a cheaper price and save and use the money elsewhere towards the animation towards i don't know something else but like the fact that like yeah again every character being such a a top tier hollywood actor just felt a little problematic to me like these characters say one line and it's like ezra miller like why do we need to spend that much money on him when you could just get like an you know someone who's hired to be an extra he's coming for you he's coming for your role i mean if you've seen the video of him choking out a woman like i I have problems with ezra miller uh he he does good in some movies he's a problematic guy i'm sorry for the fans out there but you know dig a little deeper into him and it's a little problematic for me yeah i feel like this show had a lot of potential for me i think i had i think i went with too high expectations and i came out you know feeling underwhelmed overall there are some great the animation is great when they do the more brutal gruesome stuff but those don't happen as often as the rest of the animation style so you know watching it just felt like a strain on my eyes a little bit at times it just felt awkward this show could have done a lot better i hope that when season two does come out they kind of amp up the animation budget a little bit those are my thoughts on it that's why i've been holding off because i think i'm in the minority of feeling a little disappointed with the show well you know a few episodes back kent told us how to evade how to avoid paying taxes fraud with turnip boy so i'm gonna tell you how to get away with murder specifically the abc show this is a series that I watched when it was coming out live back in 2014. It's kind of what led me towards my post-secondary school path because it covers a lot of uh, criminal law and that got me interested in studying law. This series follows five first-year law students in law school and their professor who is played by the great Viola Davis. So yeah, Viola Davis plays a professor. These first-year law students get caught up in a murder of someone close to them and as the series title says they show how they get away with that murder the clever thing about this show is that right from the beginning it takes place right at the murder them trying to cover it up and then it flashes back to two months ago showing how they got to that point in time that's kind of like the bread and butter of the show where each season It starts off with a big inciting incident and then it just flashes back to show the journey of these characters, how they got to this point. Because this show went on for six seasons, I think it does kind of get, it does kind of fall flat at times. But overall, because it's what made them so successful in terms of uh, storytelling and writing, there's a lot there to unpack and it's pretty interesting to see it play out. I overall really enjoy the show i think it's because of the cast viola davis more so when i first started watching this i don't think i had seen viola davis in anything so seeing her performance throughout this series like really sold me and from then on like i i don't have to follow her career to see that how talented she is she she's again one shy one letter shy of an egot and from the performances that she's done over the years besides the show it really presents how talented viola davis is and she does have a hand with the with the show she became a producer 
her presence is very much felt in the writing and the direction of the whole series because she's a powerful black woman studying uh, practicing law it really gets into a lot of issues that through the justice system and the show doesn't really shy away from addressing all those issues even in its first season its first season it you know deals with a black man wrongfully accused of a crime who's been in prison for so many years it deals with uh trans people being uh discriminated against i i don't know what more to say about the show but it, it is one of the probably one of my favorite shows of all time i'm surprised with how much they got away with because it was shown on abc i guess a, sometimes a little family f- not family friendly but like it's a network that's not that's more directed towards a lighter uh an audience who's not expecting such dark themes such big issues to be brought up so i'm i was generally surprised with the lengths that the show went through the plot twists are always very interesting to me the characters are well written at times like yeah there are characters that i hate but i think their journeys feel earned and i feel satisfied with how certain character stories concluded they ended on their own terms just last year in 2020 um, each season is 15 episodes, so overall nine, 90 episodes. I think the first three are the strongest. I, that's not to say that four to six are weak. It's just that it by season four, the show changes tone a little bit. And it tries something new with, uh, with the direction of certain characters. But I, I still appreciate what they did with that. Overall, a very great show. It's a show that I went back and forth with because of some character decisions that they did. But overall, I, I went back from the very beginning, watched it again, binged it, and I really appreciate it a lot. If we're going down this murder mystery detective train, I'm always looking for more movies. So if any of y'all listening have some cool contemporary, so post-2010s detective mystery movies, email us at the Power Outage Pod at gmail.com the email is in the description if you forgot or weren't paying attention but if you're watching on youtube also comment down below when emailing us please um make sure to put in the subject line who you're addressing if it's ryan of the bts meals please put ryan if you're talking about murder <laughs> suggestions please put kent and if you're putting any raps rap um uh sorry rap rap suge- not rap like, suggestions rap um lyrics no. <laughs> your sound, if you're sending SoundCloud links to Levy, make yeah. sure to submissions. put that in the subject line. If you have any rap submissions, please let me know. If you do all three, just put all three in the subject line. like And se- separate yeah, it. Yeah, just make it a long yeah, subject. Separated yes. by semicolon. <laughs> just, just, just put combo number three. We'll know. Yeah. <laughs> we know it. We know what combo number three is. So this has been the fourth episode of the Power Outage, Power Outage Podcast. This is the conclusion to our thoughts on the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. But we will not be talking about a single show in our next episode. We will be talking about a slew of shows next episode where Levy will lead a discussion of our 3x3 sitcoms. We're going to be talking about nine sitcoms that we consider our favorites. Be sure to tune in for... How controversial those lists could be. Y'all are going to be mad. Yes. I. Some people will be... I don't know. 
Maybe some people will be shocked that one specific show I have on my list as one of my co-hosts were. But you know what? I will stand by it. I will defend my shows as much as I can. So stay tuned for that in the next coming weeks. Thank you for listening to the Power Outage podcast. And before we go, if you're curious as to why our title for these past two episodes have been Unlit Gems... We just did the same thing that we did with Badnar Pop now. Just we can do the translator. No, but yeah, I mean a similar idea where we just changed up the main title to fit something else and of course dark can be synonymous with unlit and crystal could be synonymous with gems and we came with unlit gems. No affiliation with Uncut Gems, which is also on Netflix. Again, Netflix, if you're listening, we can be affiliated with you if you're willing. Also, this is the last time we're going to explain ourselves. So if somehow uh, we have 100 episodes in and they're wondering when did, why don't they explain, they'll have to go all the way <laughs> to episode 3. I mean, episode 4. Yes. So again, loyal listeners, thank you for sticking all the way through this. Don't help anyone by episode 100 if they keep asking why the titles are a certain oh, just, way. Just cut it off and don't help anyone. Just live, live <laughs> do you everybody's dragging you down anyway the Acelodon. don <laughs>